me in the morning and says, and you could see it on his face. It's like, did he really do that? I can't believe that anybody could play that poorly and yet be in the praise team. And, and yet, I get to do it every week, and I love to do it. Thank you for that, Doug, for allowing me to do that. And, and John, thank you for, for inviting me to come to speak this morning. Uh, this, is, this is the first time that I will have preached in almost uh, two years in September, and, you know, a preacher that hasn't preached in a long time. I'll be honest with you, there, there are several emotions that are going through my mind right now. First, I'm as nervous as I was the first time that I ever kissed my bride. <laughs> and so if, if I stumble, if I fall, if I say something really stupid, just look at me and say, well, he was born in Arkansas and he can't help himself. Or he used to live in Maine, and who knows what happens in Maine. But, uh, yes, we are Red Sox fans, and we're proud of it and those kinds of things. But I am glad to be here, and, and so I thank you for the opportunity. The other thing that I'm feeling this morning is really overwhelmed because when it comes to the Word of God, I have a deep abiding love for God's Word. There is nothing in life that speaks more clearly about who God is and what he is than his word. We, we live in a day of the Oprahization, and I've said this in our Sunday school class. I teach the class on Sunday morning, and we've said this, but we live in the day of the Oprahization of who God is. Oprah has defined for herself who God is. Well, let me just tell you something. No man, no woman in this room or outside of this room or any place in the world has the right to define who God is. God defines himself, and he does so with his word. And so this morning, I want you to turn with me to the book of Micah, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 8. God gives us somewhat of a definition of who he is, but also what he expects from us. So Micah Chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. We'll give you a minute to find that, and when you have, because it's one of those weird books in the kind of in the back of the Old Testament. Just look this way, and then I'll know that you're with me in the same place. I think everybody's there. Am I breathing too heavy? You'll forgive me. Excuse me? Okay. I'm not used to wearing one of these things, you know. Here's what the scripture says. Hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth because the Lord has a case, a court case, if you will, against his people. Even with Israel, he will dispute. My people, he says, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and I ransomed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people remember now what Balak, the king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, Balaam the son of Beor, answered him, and from Shittim to Gilgal, in order that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. And then they answer. With what shall we come to you, Lord? 
and bow before you, God on high. Shall we come with burnt offerings with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and in ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I even present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then Micah answers, speaking for God. And he says, God has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Let's pray. Father, as we come into this passage of Scripture this morning, I have to be honest with you. I am a little nervous, a little scared. I haven't done this in a while, and I'm excited all at the very same time. But the real truth is, and it has always been this way since since the very beginning, I cannot preach, never could, never will, and so I'm asking you to speak through me the very words that you have shared with my heart. And then, Father, more importantly, whether, whether my speech is good or my, my sound is good or my verbiage is great, what's really important today is that we hear from you. And not only that we hear from you, but we respond the way you want us to respond to your word. And so, Lord, use this time, and you be honored in it. And I pray it in your name. Amen. As you look into this passage of Scripture, in many ways, the children of Israel, actually the southern kingdom of Israel to whom he's speaking to, are actually in a really good spot in some ways. Financially, they have everything that they could possibly ever want. Many of them do. They have homes that are lavish. They have possessions more than you can count. And they have everything and anything anybody could possibly want. And they are quite comfortable with their possessions and their things. But they have a problem. Their problem is this. Even though they have all of this stuff, They have neglected a relationship with God. In fact, as Micah is speaking to them, as you read the context of the whole book, they have very little, if any, relationship with God. They really don't know who he is. They don't know what he's really all about. They have walked away from him, and they don't understand him. Now, I think that's even clear when you read their response back to Micah, as he's speaking, they say, well, what, does, what do you want, Lord? What do you really want from us? Do you want us to, to sacrifice more cows? Do you want us to do this? Do you want us to do that? Do you want us to sing more songs? Do you want us to give more money? Do you want us even, and they say this, and this is very frightening, do you even want us to sacrifice your children, our children before you? I mean, they have really captured something that is outside of who God is, and they are far away from a right relationship with God. It's into this venue that Micah comes to preach, and not only Micah, but men like Isaiah, Hosea, Jeremiah, and they began to preach repentance, that is, to turn away from sin and to turn to God, because the, the end result was that if they did not do so, that they were going to face the judgment of God, and ultimately, that's exactly what happened to them. They were taken into captivity for 75 years in Babylon, where they were mistreated and abused 
In the book of Psalms, it says this concerning the captivity. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down. And of our captors, they required of us a song. But how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And if you read further in that passage of Scripture, they say this. They say, what we'd really like to do is we'd like to take rocks and bash their heads in because we're so miserable here. All of that was a result of them not turning from their sins and repenting toward God. But they answer God, we've been religious. What else do you want from us? And really the question when they ask, what else more do you want? What do you really require? What they're really saying is this. What will it take for you to go away and leave us alone so that we can live our lives as we want to? Well, I think their question is a good question. What, do you, what does God really want? I think their hearts are in a bad spot. But I think the question is good, and I think the answer that Micah gives us there, as you would see it in that verse 8, he says, he has told you, this is what God has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And the answer that Micah gave them from the voice of God is the same thing that I believe that God wants from us. And so this morning, I just want to go into these words just a little bit. I want to look at these ideas. This is not going to be the most profound message that you've ever heard. I doubt that you'll leave here saying, wow, I have been at the foot of Jesus and I have learned something just amazingly wonderful that I did not know before. But I think that what you're going to hear is what God has been consistently saying to us throughout the ages. The first thing that God says is this. He says that we are to do justice. The word justice in the Hebrew carries with it the idea of treating other people with kindness and generosity. Really, the idea here is to look, and when you see someone who is in need, that you begin to look and see what their needs are and see how best you can help them with that need and then offer to give them that help. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told in the New Testament and here was this guy who was going down the road one day, and as he was going, some thieves came out of the woods. They beat him up. They left him for dead, and his body was laying there in the road, bleeding profusely. The Scripture says that there were two religious men, a priest and another one, that came by, and when they saw him, they, they took a wide berth around him. Berth is a, is a nautical term, I'm sorry. But they took a wide berth around him. They didn't want to get near him. They didn't want to touch him. They didn't want to be anywhere where he was. And so they left him. And you would think certainly that spiritual people, those who love God, those who know something about God, would have done something, but they didn't. Jesus says that a Samaritan, now Samaritans were hated beyond any description that you and I could possibly imagine by the Jews because they were a mixed race. And so as Jesus is telling this story, I'm quite sure that there are some in the crowd who are saying, ooh, a Samaritan. But the story goes that the Samaritan saw him, put him on his mule, took him into town, got him a room at the hotel, bandaged up his wounds, took care of him, gave him everything that he needed. And when it was time for the Samaritan to leave, he went to the innkeeper and said, Now, I'll be back in just a little while, and when I come back, you take care of him. Whatever he needs, you make sure you get it. I will provide for his needs. 
You see, when we talk about doing justice, we're talking about how we treat other people, how we look at other people in the world in which we live. We're talking about treating them with kindness that is the love of God. Now, let me give a caveat here. Sometimes what we need to do when we're treating other people with kindness and we're actually meeting their needs is that sometimes we actually have to say to some people, I've done all I can do and I can't do any more. And we have to let them go. In the New Testament, in the book of 1 Corinthians, there's a young man who was terribly enough sleeping with either his mother or his stepmother. No one is really sure. And Paul says, writing to the Corinthian church, put him out. You've done all you can do. Now put him out, and we'll let God deal with him this way. Sometimes you just have to say, that's all there is. Let me tell you two stories. Two men that I have known. One was in the church that, that I pastored at Caribou. He was, he was an alcoholic, and he was very much an alcoholic. He called me one night. It was a Friday night, and he said, he said, Pastor Steve, you, you really have got to come right away. Please come. Please come. I need you to come. And, and I really didn't recognize the voice at first. And then he hung up, and then I realized who it was. I got in my car, and I drove across town to get to where he was, and I, I knocked on his door, and he let me in. He said, I'm so glad to see you, Pastor. I'm about to take my life. And I said, please don't do that. He said, but I have just embraced alcohol to the point where it just owns me and I can do nothing about it. And I said, okay, I'm here. Let's go and find all those bottles of whiskey and booze that you have in your house. He said, what do you mean? I said, I know you have them and they're hidden in the cabinets, under the bed, probably in your car. You tell me where they are. We're going to run right out, and we're going to get them, and we're going to throw them all away. And he said, are you nuts? And that was when I said to him, I said, I thought you were about to do yourself in, that you were about to harm yourself. And he said, well, I, I think I'm going to if I don't get this thing under control. And I told him, I said, you know, you can only do this with God's help, but you've got to be willing to make the first step, and I'm willing to take the bottles and throw them out. I will even do better than that. I will throw them in the back of the car so that you can't even drip the drops into your mouth after I'm gone. And he said, this is really not what I expected. And you know what I said to him? I said, okay. And I left. He called me when I got home. He said, I just can't believe you did that to me, that you were willing to let me just kill myself over this booze. And I said, you weren't willing to do anything to change it. I am not, I am not a person who can do more than that. I sometimes have to just let you go. And I said, I'm letting you go. When you get serious with God and you want to throw that stuff out, I'll come. Another young man that I knew, his name was Mike Prue. I loved Mike. He was one of my mentor young men who came to me on a regular basis and we talked on a weekly basis and Mike said to me one point I knew he was an alcoholic and he said to me he said I'm done I can't do this anymore I said so what are we going to do he said I need you to meet me at my house I'm coming I got to his house he lived in a pigsty to be honest with you very bright young man very intelligent young man. 
and he said, let me tell you where they are. And we went and found every bottle in that house. And then he said, that's it. And I said, no, you've got another one someplace. Where is your holdout bottle? He said, well, I was going to hold on to that one just, just, just in case. And I said, no, you, you, there's none of that. And he said, it's in the shed back behind the house. It's actually on the other side of the well pump. So we went out and we poured it out. You see, when we're talking about doing justice for people, we're looking at people's needs in their lives and we're reacting in ways that are godly and appropriate. And sometimes we have to say to people, I've done all I can do. But sometimes we have to go that extra mile and do right by them. There's a second idea that's given here, and it is the idea of loving mercy or kindness. The word mercy actually comes from the Hebrew word hesed. It's, it's very similar to that word agape that we use, and that's the Greek word for how God loves. It's that idea that God loves us in spite of who we are, that God loves us because he chooses to, and it's the idea that we, too, are supposed to love in such a love. And in such a way, one commentator that I read said this. He said, the idea here is to enter into relationships with people that sometimes scare us or that we're not comfortable with so that we can tell them of the love that God has for them. You know, people are frightening and they're uniquely different. And there are people that I am not comfortable with because they come from a different background than I do. Some of them are from Florida. <sighs> Some of them from Maine. Some are from Arkansas and Louisiana. There are people that I am just simply not comfortable with, but you know what? God loves the people that I am not comfortable with. And he expects me and you to show them that he loves them. We live in a world full of people who are messed up, confused, lost. And that's really the word, lost. My director of missions used to say that when you look at the world, you need to look at it in its lostness and realize that the people that you pass by who are standing on the street corners or the people that are behind you at the grocery store are lost. And the only way that they're going to hear that message is if we share that message with them. But it cannot be done out of an angry heart, but it must be done out of a heart that genuinely loves people and is willing to enter into a relationship with them. Thursday mornings, I get to do something really neat. I get to come up here on Thursday mornings after Bible study with Doug. And, and by the way, if, if you need a men's Bible study, we meet 6 o'clock on Thursday mornings, Doug's great teacher, uh, and, and we're really having a good time studying through the book of Colossians. Just a little free commercial there. I'll expect a little retribution for that later on. But I get to come up after that. I get to go over to the kitchen where our church is serving breakfast to the homeless. What's really neat is, is as I watched this thing unfold, it was so cool the very first time I got there because... All these people that are a part of our church family know these homeless people. They know them by names, and they know their stories. And some of their stories are as confused and mixed up and messed up as anybody's in the whole world. 
And you know what? I'm getting to know their names too. But you know what's really cool is I watch our folks. They're investing their lives into them, looking for the opportunity to share the love of God with them. You see, sometimes love is messy. And sometimes love is uncomfortable. But God calls us to love, to act like Jesus in our world, to love people sometimes in spite of who they are. Now, I want to tie this last one in because this is so important. Because the first two, in honesty, you could do good deeds all over the place. You could be nice to people all over the place. And you could do it without a relationship with God. But this last part is how this all really comes together. Micah says this, that you are to do justice, love mercy, and then to walk humbly with God. The word walk is so very important here because it means that I am in a growing, deepening fellowship, friendship with God, where I am learning more about God, and God is becoming more and more a part of my life. In the Old Testament, there's a story of a man named Enoch, and you probably could quote it as well as I could, that the Scripture says he walked with God and was not, which meant simply that one day they were out walking together, and then he was gone, that he'd gone home to heaven. But, but the idea of walking with God was that Enoch had a relationship with God where they were friends, where they talked, and they loved, and they shared, and they cared about one another. We have sung in this church, or at least I have heard it in other churches, in the church that I came from, I am a friend of God, I am a friend of God. Jesus said, greater love is no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You see, in order for me to have a walking relationship with God, I must have first a relationship with God. It begins at that moment when I'm in prayer and I say for the very first time, Jesus, without you, I will spend eternity separate from you in heaven, and I am asking you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. That's it. Somebody said to me one time, is that all? Wow, that's so simple. You mean there's not a lot of other stuff that I got to do? No, Jesus said it. He said, just believe. That's it. Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from dead. It's simple. That's where it begins. That's that walk. But it cannot remain there because if it remains there, it will become stagnant and die. But a real walk begins on a daily basis. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It's a moment-by-moment, day-by-day thing. And I wish I could say to you that I've really gotten this thing down good, that I do this absolutely perfectly, and that I have never failed at this. But that would not be true. But you see... What I really love about walking with Jesus is is that no matter how badly I screw it up, and sometimes I really do, he's always ready for me to come to him and say, I blew it. And he says, okay, now what you going to do? I'm going to choose to follow you. Let me take up my cross. By the way, the word cross does not mean burden. It means death. And it means that I must die to myself and everything that I want to follow him and do what he wants. That's a walk with God. 
It's a genuine walk with God. Now, how do you accomplish this? Micah says you do so humbly. I've struggled for a long time with preachers who say, my ministry, my church, my pastorate, because none of it really is ours. Nothing that belongs to you belongs to you. It actually belongs to God. Everything that you've ever accomplished in this life was done so because God allowed you to do so, not because you were amazing and wonderful, although many of you are amazing and wonderful, but it's because God is at work. If you've walked with God, He's blessed you. In the book of Deuteronomy, in the 8th chapter, the children of Israel are waiting to cross into the promised land with Moses standing there, preaching the last message before they're going to go in to this land of promise. And in these verses, it says something like this. Now, when you cross into the land and you have begun to gather things about you and you have cows and, well, they probably didn't say chickens. I don't remember chickens in there and I'm sure they didn't say pigs, but, you know, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, But, When you get all of this and you begin to have wealth and you begin to have things, here's what God says. Remember that it wasn't you that did it, but it was God who did it for you. That it was God who gave it to you. My friends, there's no room for brag in any of us at First Baptist Church about what we're doing. Let me say it yet another way. There's also no room for my agenda as being the primary thing. It's what's going on in any church. It's all about what God wants, when God wants it, and how he wants it. And when he blesses, and he will, then we back up and we say glory to God because he brought forth that which is great. See, it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. When I was a student at East Texas Baptist University, I, I took a, a preaching class, and all these young preacher boys in this class, you, it, was, it, was, it was really wild to see because man, they, they wore ties to class. I never did. I just couldn't. And they, sometimes they wore three-piece suits to class. I just couldn't. I'm so grateful that God freed us from some of that. Amen. Dr. Potts was my preaching professor, Dr. Donald Potts. He's gone home to be with Jesus now. Uh, Dr. Potts said this one, one class, and he said, I, I, just, I just have to tell you boys something. And he always said we were his boys. And he said, I just have to tell you boys something, and here's what I want you to remember. Don't you ever forget this for as long as you live. He said, some of you will pastor churches with some of the sweetest little old ladies in the world, and they'll bring you stuff to eat that will make you fatter than fat. And they're doing it all because they love you, and they love you a lot. And every Sunday on the way out of the church door, they're going to take you by the hand and say, Oh, Pastor, that was the best message I ever heard in my life. And Dr. Potts said, Now, when they say that, don't you believe them? Because you're neither as good or as bad as they say you are. And if anything good is happening in your church, it's not because you did it. It It's because God is alive and well and God is doing it. And so don't take credit for what God is doing. You see, Micah says, walk humbly with God, not proud with my chest out saying, look at what I am accomplishing. But it's always looking to say, what is God doing? And isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? There was a great preacher in Canada whose name was 
Oswald J. Smith. He died, I guess, about 40 years ago. Billy Graham preached his funeral. Oswald J. Smith said something that I want to finish this message with. He said this, I want your plan, O God, for my life. May I be happy and contented, whether in the homeland or in the foreign field, whether married or alone, in happiness or sorrow, in health or sickness, prosperity or adversity. And this is where he ends. And he says it with such passion that I wish I could share it with you that way. But he says, I want your plan, O oh God, for my life. I want it. Oh, I want it. You see, for J. Oswald Smith, he understood that there was no room for brag about him. But there was only room for what Jesus wanted to do in him. So what does God want? He wants us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk with him in humility. That's all. That's all. But you have to choose. I have to choose. And that's the only way it works. Let's pray again.